Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome <laughs> back to Bible and Banter. We took last week off so we can ha- we can take care of some in-house issues and whatnot. Like not really issues, just like trying to figure out. We had some to stuff. we had to smack Mike around and put him in his place. He's the I new guy, know. and he comes in with all this bravado, thinking he's going to make decisions, and you know his voice is going to be heard. Uh, Mike, I don't see your picture on the logo. No, it well, it is up here. It's right right up here. It's on the show right now, Luke. (laughs) Yeah. So in his in his head looms over both of us. Pretty much, he's the one keeping us in check. So, Luke, by saying that, I will only permit you to be on the show for the first fifteen minutes. After that, you need to leave. Wow, that he's really tripping on power now. You know what? You know what? (laughs) It's not even worth fighting him. Fine, I'll leave. (laughs) I'll leave. Well, at least, at least, Luke, like our topic for today, we're talking about marriage stuff. And uh, this topic kind of came uh, came from Mike. So at least you didn't come up with the topic, although I'm pretty sure you're the one who said, hey, let's go with that one. And now you're leaving us. Yeah. So the uh, I'm going to have to leave the show a little bit early today, which is a bummer because I'm super psyched about the subject. Uh, I'll be you sound like it. I know I am. <laughs> I'll be honest. We're we're now Eric and I are now in like our seven, maybe seventy third or seventy fourth episode of this show, and I'm running out of ideas. So we were texting last night, and I asked Mike, "Hey, do you have anything?" And he fired off like six really good uh, questions about uh, pastoral work. So I'm excited to let him lead for a bit. Yeah. And well, so so. In, in other news, you, you stopped by and, and hung out with us. Was it yesterday or the day before? I forget. I, yeah, I know. I know. The the Bible and Banter Boys, the originals, were actually in the same physical space again for the first time. In Our families met each other? I Tell me about it, man. I don't think I've seen you in the flesh. And it had been like a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Was- and I've never seen Mike in the flesh, so. That's for off-air time. That's not a euphemism. <laughs> He's a person. He just, the, I don't know why we refuses to speak this way. In the deuter- not in the deuteronomic sense. Um, Gosh, okay. But my – dude, the best thing about meeting your family yesterday was your son throwing shade. The first thing he says to me isn't like, hello. It's, wow, your shirt's weird. <laughs> I, and then, I sw- I swear to you, I'm telling you, my son is, uh, of my children, probably the sweetest and kindest with strangers. He waves at them and says hi. But yeah, he saw you wearing that shirt yesterday and just thought, I'm just going to insult this stranger who's welcoming me into his home. (laughs) What was the shirt? It was my Charles Spurgeon shirt. And a picture of just Charles Spurgeon on this and Charles Spurgeon. He probably thought it was a a (laughs) self-portrait. What kind of guy wears a shirt with his own face on it? (laughs) I wonder if he's not the only one. Like all these non-Christians or even Christians who don't know who who, uh, Spurgeon is are like, why is this dude where – is this guy's name Charles? And why is he (laughs) – why does he want us to know his name? Like that's just really weird. So I don't know. But uh, it was good. It was good meeting uh, Lindsay and the kids. Yes. For like, yeah. you guys only gave us about 45 minutes of your time. But uh, that's okay. uh, as we know today, he can only schedule <laughs> 15 minute sections. So he, I, you got three full sections of Luke Copeland. I'm, so. a, I'm a man in high demand. So if I if I Ooh. give you a, a backward glance, be grateful. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it w- anyway, anyway, it was good. It was good to get to see you guys and, and meet the family who I'd only seen pictures of. So that was, good. I, you know what? They, they're, they're real. They really, I really am married. I really do have children. Uh, it's all, it's all true. Yeah. And then I think our wives really bonded over how exhausting their lives are, not because of the children that they are helping raise, but because of the husbands they have to deal with on a daily basis. Yes, yes, it's true. I really don't like how Eric is towering over us right now. So I I'm know, gonna... I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. So we do have some We do have some big show news. We do, do we wanna, yeah. So do we want to lead? Let's lead with that, considering Luke can only give us a small portion of his time today. Okay, let's uh, do it. So the news is that for the summer, 
We will not have any live shows starting in the last week of June, but through the last week of June through August, we will have minisodes. And uh, so we'll have nine minisodes. Each of us has three in which we are the main host for. And we will be presenting a topic of our choosing. And the other two guys just get to give us a hard time about it. And, and we'll talk about it. And uh, they'll be like 30 minutes. They're a lot easier for us to do. And we can do them all at one time. And that way it will give us the, the summer off as far as setting our schedule. So that's really exciting. So what that means for the audience, um, you can still participate in those. And maybe we'll go back and, and try and comment and interact as much as we can. But for the most part, um, things won't change. We'll still have Bible banter episodes on every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Those will um, post and that will start the last Tuesday in June. Yeah. And there might be a couple exceptions to that. We've got some things in the works with one Catherine Rybicki. And depending on uh, how quickly some of the writing materials for that interaction develop, we may end up having a couple live episodes with her over the summer, but that would be the exception and not the rule. And that's pretty much where we're going to watch uh, You Get Torn Apart by Catherine. You know what? In like a kind and gentle way. If, if I'm, if I'm going to get torn, uh, torn apart by anyone, uh, let it be someone as kind and sweet as Catherine. Mm-hmm. She's willing to put up with you. You know what? Know. Many people are, shockingly. Yeah. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't get it, but I'm just going to keep on riding the wave until it crashes. And what you guys are doing, and the three of us, not not including Mike. So, um, <laughs> so you you you, me, and Catherine, or we kind of have a group chat going, and and we're talking about mostly theological issues, and and especially complementarian versus egalitarianism. And it's been like a wonderful conversation. Um, that out of that has come a couple of articles that you guys have done and you guys are continuing the dialogue and you'll have that conversation on air. Um, but yeah, that's really yeah. Helpful because I think Catherine comes at things from a very good biblical perspective. And I think you both pointed out the problems with a more emotional, um, mm-hmm. non-biblical perspective based on the articles that you guys wrote. So I'm looking forward to the work that you guys do in the coming months. Well, the other thing that's so different about this for us is so much of Bible and banter is fly by the seat of our pants. Like, oh, we we called the guest on Monday and now they're they're on the show. Um, and this is a much more sort of meticulous, uh, a lot of it work, a lot of the work in advance that I think is going to help to clarify the discussion before we have it publicly. Um, and it's already it's the sort of thing I'd like to do more of. It's been a fun experience. Mm-hmm. Cool. What are, else you gonna, are, you, are you going to talk for longer than 15 minutes when that happens? Is my, my question. Uh, you know, it'll depend on what my schedule looks like that day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, those, I, I, think, I, think, I think those are going to be uh, on the long end uh, if, if private conversations bode any, anything for the future. And I mean that in the best possible way. Good long conversations. Mm-hmm. That's good. Cool. But we're obviously not having any of those today, so it's been a great show, everybody. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and I've I'm I'm done with six minutes to spare, so I think this was a pretty good way to spend the episode. <laughs> well, before we let Luke go, what else is going on in your guys' lives? Uh, I had a, my first like full tick, brain tickle COVID uh, test this morning in preparation for an endoscopy <laughs> on Friday. <laughs> Is endoscopy like they go up? No, no. that's a colonoscopy. That's a colonoscopy. Oh, okay. This one's down. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's just, I was like, like you talking about the the colonoscopy sounds kind of that's that just, sounds kind of private that's not something that people just talk about in public I, I wasn't laughing because i'm i'm confused about medical terms like eric i was laughing because they they shoved a giant q-tip up your nose so that they could shove a giant tube down your throat exactly <laughs> wait so what's the purpose of the do you mind sharing like you didn't say anything about needing an end dot uh, whatever oh well for a while for a few years now like you know i have some heartburn issues it's probably just because i'm fat um, and potentially a hiatal hernia that my mom had, and I've got similar things going on that messed with her. And so it'll probably all mostly be resolved through me just losing weight. But 
Wait, what's a what's a hiatal hernia? It's kind of where a little bit of your stomach comes up into your esophagus, and it can cause heartburn. Food can get caught there, and then I could either get it down by standing up and taking a drink of water or vomiting. What? Eric, I feel like I feel like the, all these all these discussions about uh, um, vaccine passports have thrown HIPAA out the window. You just asked Mike a super personal medical question. Hey, I brought it on myself. This has nothing to do with HIPAA. Myself. HIPAA is between is that the doctors can't share share it. It's it's nothing about us not being able to share it. Oh, okay. Well, then, uh, Mike, have Did you, you ever had a colonoscopy? Not yet, but I'm okay. really looking forward to it. Talking about so so Mike, you brought up you brought up being fat. Um, I real so I shared with you guys the screenshot that I found on Twitter, um, and I don't know like uh, the more people I follow on Twitter, like the more stuff pops into my Twitter feed that has nothing to do with the people that I follow. I don't know how Twitter. I'm still figuring out Twitter, but. We were talking about the screenshot that I sent you guys. Um, this dude, and I thought this was actually really, um, really poignant. Uh, however, I don't necessarily know <laughs> know about some of the language that they use. So the guy says, some of our reformed crowd treat the doctrine of election like fat people test Diet Coke. The fat people think that since they drink, drank a Diet Coke, they can eat whatever they want, while some of the reformed crowd think since they're elect, they can do whatever they want. And then there's like a there's the gif of like the I don't know what the character is, but it's like some kind of puppet and he has like his eyes go sideways. And some dude said, We don't say fat people anymore. And I don't know why, but I thought that was hilarious. I have it is really I have, funny. I've always been so sure that I would be the one to kill the show. I think it might be Eric. He might have just done it. Do you have any idea how many uh, co Diet Coke drinking people could be listening right now? Uh, uh, the the feeling I I can't I can't believe you read that on air. I'm shocked. How do you so so funny I like story. That. I prefer the taste of Diet Coke to to regular yeah. Coke. So funny so. thing. The main CDC director. Is all in his Zoom meetings updating the state on how hell is coming to earth through COVID. Um, always is drinking a Diet Coke. And from what my my insider at the capital of Maine tells me, he's also a really big smoker. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, man, you're telling us how to live healthy. And you're like... <laughs> well, uh, this has been... A fascinating I introduction. I, to, I just want to point this out. I don't refer to other people as fat, but I do lovingly refer to myself as fat. Um, and, and so does my doctor, which I appreciate her keeping it real. <laughs> you have a female doctor? <laughs> yes. And, I've learned and, so much about you guys in the past 15 and minutes. And it's really uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> I really, <laughs> like, it is really uncomfortable, um, which is one of the reasons why I don't go to the doctor very often. <laughs> Uh, so my family all shares the same doctor and which was my wife's idea, but I really like this doctor because she also, she just keeps it real. She'll like, she'll be like, listen, you're overweight. I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't do this, but let's just do a little less of it. How about that? Um, this is the weirdest introduction to the show that I've ever experienced ever. <laughs> What has happened in the past 13 and a half minutes? Actually, my wife says I have a female doctor. She's actually a PA. Mine's also a PA. But I call her doc out of respect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she's awesome, man. I like she's she's great, but then there's just certain things that that you're supposed to go to the doctor for that I just don't feel comfortable talking to with another woman. Or see, another. see, I don't have that problem. <laughs> She, she's paid to listen to my weird stuff. Oh my but, but I feel, I think I'm also older than her, like the doc. So like, I feel just kind of, I don't know, man. I just feel really awkward. You All know. right. Well, well I, gotta I, do, go. I have to I do. leave now. But, um, enjoy sure. talking about, you know, whatever we were supposed to talk about today. <laughs> Bye guys. <laughs> So here's an example, Mike, of like of of one of the things. Uh, so I had like, uh, what do you call it? Elevated cholesterol. Like not like it's not in the high range, but elevated right. cholesterol, which I think is is kind it's, of it's a warning. Normal. It's more of a warning. Yeah, yeah. Than a, yeah. 
So she's like, hey, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take fish oil. I want you to kind of eat more of this. You know, and I was like, okay, if I do all those things, can I still smoke cigars? And she said, <laughs> and she said, uh, how many cigars do you smoke? And I said, well, it depends on the week, but you know, three to five a week. I might smoke three to five a week. And uh, she said, listen, if you do all this other stuff, keep smoking cigars. I have no problem with it. And I said, this is the doc I can get behind, man. This is so. Uh, I, I she's great. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. So everybody's making fun of us. Yeah. Nathaniel's not wrong. <laughs> nor is, nor is Meredith. <laughs> um, so we, so you presented a question and I really wish Luke was here for this, but maybe it's best yeah. that he's not. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> for reasons that people understand once we bring up the topic. So last night we're, we were texting our group chat, just, ideas of stuff that we're, we wanted to talk about. And there was a lot of stuff. It was really good. And Luke was really adamant that he wanted to talk about this one in particular. And it was the topic that you brought up, which was um, pastorally, should you officiate a wedding for someone who is, or for two people who are living together? Mm-hmm. Um, which I think, I, th- I think delves into the question of a lot of pastoral application of, of, when when's the time to, or when is it okay to officiate a wedding when it isn't it and i think that as we discuss this it's probably good for us to say hey like at least me personally mike i don't know how how fervent you are in your conviction on this but mm-hmm. i try to show a lot of grace in the midst of it um my own pastoral experience as being as having served in like a inner city church that had a large um population of of people who were either they were transient they were uh, homeless or moved around a lot you know um their cell phone like changed every 30 days their cell phone number you know just people who um you know were were really kind of the the poorest of the society the Mm -hmm. the least of these and and a lot of times you would sit down and realize man their situation is a lot different than mine now, how do I apply biblical principle in, in marriage, in how the home's constructed and all that in the midst of a situation that they're presently in? So I want to speak about this with a lot of grace and admit like this is something that, at least me personally, I'm trying to figure out on a case-by-case basis. And there are certain things I certainly hold dear convictions that are probably a non-starter, but there are some other things that were once like close to non-starters that I've shifted my view on a little bit. And I'm, and I'm interested to hear what you have to say as well. So Mike, I want to start us off, man. Uh, how do we, how do we go about wedding people who aren't, who aren't, you know, starting off with a clean slate, like many people, you know, like mm. the ideal quote unquote ideal situation that many people like to think, you know, like unmarried, no kids living away from each other. What if that's not the case? Right. I am, I have my, there's only a couple things that I'm pretty firm in everything else. I, I struggle with like where I stand. And so a good argument here or there could make me lean towards another direction. The only thing that the, the, the two major things that I hold firm to with, you know, not marrying are two, a, a Christian and a non-Christian. I will not even entertain that. Uh, that reality. And then number two, um, no, that's pretty much the only one that there's no like, like vacillate vacillating. I, I, I mean, I just don't even, it's not even practically a good idea, let alone bib- biblically. I don't think allowed. Uh, now, now Mike, let, let's, let's sit right there for a moment. Now mm-hmm. I come to you, let's, let's, let's role play a little bit. Mm-hmm. I come to you. I'm a believer. My soon-to-be wife is not. And I say, Pastor, I've been coming to your church for three, four, five years, however long it's been. We have a fairly, uh, you know, kind of the relationship that a lot of pastors have. Like, maybe it's an okay relationship. Maybe you've taken me out to lunch once or twice. Uh, I've been sitting under your preaching for a while. But you also realize, hey, this this guy could run away from the church too. Like if I don't give him, you know, I think a lot of pastors run into this where they are presented with something from their congregant 
or congregation and they're kind of caught between what they think is a rock and a hard place. I mean, if I speak the truth to this guy, he might run away uh, no matter how lovingly I say it. So how, how are you going to engage with me on that? I, I probably wouldn't be as point blank necessarily, but most likely before this, I, they will have at least heard my stance that I will never recommend a Christian and a non-Christian to even date, let alone get married. But I love um, her, Mike. I love her, Pastor Mike. Uh, <laughs> you can't trust your feelings. Are you going to submit to the authority of Christ or are you going to submit your authority to your heart's emotions? Um, you know, your choice to, or even your choice to love this person. And so, you know, you got to argue biblically. I mean, there's that big debate, isn't there, that like the unequally yoked passage in, in Paul, you know, some take that to be, you know, as, you know, talking about marriage. And I just read actually something yesterday uh, or the day before that says that very well may be talking about the sexual union. Uh, but at the same time, there doesn't seem to be a necessitating context for um, being Marry, that being about marriage, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it would be a difficult conversation, uh, but I would, I would have to rest. I, I just look at the example in now granted real world examples. We have a lot of exceptions to the rules that would prove me wrong real day. But when we go back to scripture, when someone married someone of a different faith against God's plan and desire, more often than not, they went the, the way of the, the non-believer than they did the way of the believer. Mm -hmm. um, the, the one exception I feel like in that instance was Ruth, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, so uh, it, it would be a difficult conversation. I would try to love them through it, but um, but, but again, I'm pretty firm on that. I don't know that there's many arguments that you could get me to sway from that. However, the cohabiting issue, um, I'm pretty firm on it with the, I have made an exception here or there, but, but they're pretty specific exceptions. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know, one of the ones, you know, that I, the, really the only one that I had an exception to, uh, was, an issue of they were really immature, not immature, but they weren't really part of the church for that long. There was a lot of growth there. There were some kids involved, um, but they were willing to move the wedding up to a week or two after we talked rather than waiting six months like they were going to. Mm -hmm. Like they were willing to like rearrange things to make things right. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if there's some willingness to like work through things, uh, but if it's just a, yeah, no, that's a non-starter for us. We're out. Then I'm like, mm -hmm. then you're out <laughs> yeah. uh, type of deal. So th there, there is, I I'm pretty firm on it, but at the same time, there are situations where, you know, that I could see trying to make it work, but mm -hmm. in general, um, I mean, this discussion has come up, I think, Christianity Today or Ed Stetzer or someone put out an article a couple months ago or even a month ago talking about how pastors are having to deal with this more and more and more mm -hmm. uh, in their churches. And it, it's it does need to be de dealt with because, unfortunately, even amongst, you know, quote unquote, mature Christians, there's disagreement on whether or not it's OK to live or even sleep together before marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, just uh, something popped up recently. There was an article talking about how fat are half of um, evangelicals, and I think that I think the term evangelical is going to uh, come out of usage here pretty soon uh, because I think it's such a wide, uh, such a wide tent, mm -hmm. and that there are small camps within the tent that um, you kind of because you're part of the big tent, you kind of get you know, saddled with the sins of the smaller tents. So I say this with, um, with caution that, um, half of evangelicals that were polled, um, believed that, uh, sex prior to marriage was, wasn't sinful. Um, 
and so is cohabitating. So I think I think we see that largely because out of half, <laughs> I think hmm. sim- similar numbers, you can see where half um, don't believe Jesus is God. Hmm. Um, they believe he was he's man only. Um, half of evangelicals don't believe in the authority of scripture. So so I think by definition, they're not evangelicals, but that's a whole nother story. Um you know, I we shared a little bit about this uh, when I was talking with you guys, but at least in in my own life, uh, Rob and I got married, and she already had a child uh, in the marriage. So our first child together uh, is one that I've adopted um, that that Robin came into the marriage with. Uh, so, so there are instances. I, it's going to become more prevalent in society where we have people that come to faith come into the church that don't come from the same background that they did 40, 50, 60, 80 years ago, because the culture has shifted in how it views the family um, Mm -hmm. and, and has changed in its sexual ethic as well. Mm -hmm. So that is going to change. um, And we're going to have to deal with it on a, I think on a case by case basis on Mm -hmm. on how to navigate those issues. Mm -hmm. So you said there were two things that you don't, that that you were unwavering on. So the, the first one was, a Christian, well, non-Christian. Christian, non-Christian. What's the second one? I, I, I take that back because I was starting to think about the second one, and there's some gray area, you know, with that. And that's specifically the divorce issue, um, you know, whether or not to marry a divorced person to a, another mm-hmm. person. Well, okay. Number two, homosexual unions. Okay. You know, that would probably be the immovable. Like, So I, I think mean, you and I are 100% on that yeah. one. Now, you said you – said, divorce and remarriage is another one yeah yeah there's i think that you know there are some people that say no no remarriage period mm-hmm. unless the other spouse is dead mm-hmm. uh, when there's divorce involved and i don't know that i go that extreme I, I don't go that extreme so where's your boundary marker on that one um Basically, Paul and Jesus, I, I take when Jesus says, unless, unless, you know, outside of divorce for sexual immorality, you know, so if there was sexual immorality, adultery that led to unrepentant, specifically that led to mm-hmm. the dissolution of the marriage, I think it also applies to allowing for remarriage mm-hmm. um, and then to abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even in that, there's some, there's some, uh, um, if you involve church discipline, that that widens things a, a bit. Of well, I what think abandonment I, looks like, and I think you have in mind First Corinthians seven when you talk Correct. about abandonment, which is what Paul talks about, and he speaks specifically about one who abandons their spouse, an unbelieving spouse abandons the believing spouse because of their faith in Christ. Correct. Um, but I have heard it applied by others that, you know, abandonment, even outside of that abandonment could include leaving maybe if not for that reason, but for other reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I, this is, it's hard, it's hard to wrestle through this stuff, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think, I think we have to show a lot of grace even towards one another, um, because it, it, it is very challenging. And Jesus even says like the reason that Moses carried down or gave this law from God on being able to have a divorce certificate is because of the hardness of our hearts. Right. So mm-hmm. it was a means of grace that God extends to us because of the hardness of our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, so in applying that same principle, you know, I kind of think like, Hey, if, if there's abuse in the home, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think in that instance, you're having, you know, uh, most abuses, they do say the most unreported abuse is uh, a husband being abused by his wife simply because it's, it's unmanly, right? It's, it's unmasculine to, mm-hmm. to report those kinds of things. But either way, you know, if one is beating the other, um, you know, I would certainly think that that would be an abandonment of one's duty or, or mm-hmm. an abandonment of the covenant that they've mm-hmm. made with the, that person. So one of the things I think is important for us as we try to apply these principles pastorally is the way in which we speak about it, right? So mm-hmm. if we're called to speak truth in love, I like to think that it's unloving not to speak truth, but it's also unloving. It can be unloving. And I think 
they were talking about the manner in which we speak the truth. Right. right. So um, for some, I think that um, they view love as not speaking any truth that if you're loving, you're not going to hurt someone's feelings. Mm-hmm. Well, man, I'll tell you what, man, the first time I heard the gospel, my feelings were hurt. Right. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the preacher who was preaching the gospel. It was the gospel itself. God truly offended me when I heard the gospel for the first second. Even when I hear the gospel now, it is truly offensive um, by by our standards. And mm-hmm. it's imp- I think it's important for us to, to mm-hmm. administer the truth in a way that we're providing the balm of salvation and redemption in the midst of speaking that truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, sometimes we can error the other way, right? Yeah. We're too, we're too quick to want to be right. Yeah. And, and, and that makes things a challenge. Yeah. Cause the divorce per- in issue in particular, divorce and remarriage particular thing is difficult because many will argue that the way Jesus talks about it, that is if you get remarried, then you are perpetually engaging in adulterous sin. Right. And I'm like, Whew, good grief. And that, and that's why people get real hot and bothered by it and, and, you know, get real strict about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd be interested in hearing on your thoughts in terms of those areas where I, you know, especially particularly the, the cohabiting, because you, you even mentioned in our text that, you're not as necessarily as firm on that, that I am. Like, yeah. So I think, it, I, th- I think it depends on the situation, okay. right? So, so like if we have, I, I ran into this before, I've run into this before where you have um, a man and woman who have either a shared child mm-hmm. or they have, ch- they have children within the home um, yeah. and they're, they're living together because it's financially necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not only that, but they both recognize like, Hey, we want both mom and dad here to care for the children. I think mm-hmm. that that goes with the spirit of the law mm-hmm. where in that situation, yeah, let's, let's do this thing. Right. And, right. and I'm like, Mark, Mark brings up a good point, And I, and I share this all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm more than happy to do weddings. Weddings are far more difficult for me than funerals. Um, mm-hmm. I'll do 10 funerals for every one wedding uh, because mm-hmm. funerals are just much easier. Um, although I haven't had any difficult ones lately, but uh, you know, I, I, I always say, listen, I require four to six um, counseling sessions at my discretion. So, so, so don't think because I say four to six, like, Hey, once we got four, we're out of here. And, and I tell couples, listen, I'm with you for forever. Like I've done this, I've done, because I've done your wedding. Like I want to be, if you guys have marital problems, I want to be part, part of helping, you know, get through some of these solutions. So, and that's why I lay the framework that I do in doing a wedding in doing um, is I want to lay that stuff down in in the marital counseling and then throughout. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. I agree with you actually with when it comes to the cohabiting thing, when shared children are involved, it makes real mm-hmm. things complicated. I've a, I, I would probably approach it the same exact way that you have. Although I might ask for some guidelines, like, is there any chance you could sleep in different rooms until the wedding, you know, mm-hmm. practice some celibacy until that happens and, mm-hmm. you know, put, put some expectation on them, but that, you know, yeah, if you have shared children, it's almost more detrimental, especially to the kids to, have one of the, you know, spouses leave, especially the financial piece. But what I've often found is people come in and say, well, we can't because we can't afford it, you know, wh- whether mm-hmm. there's children or not. And I'm like, well, you really should, you know, especially if they claim to be Christians, I was like, I'm like, oh yeah, you should have thought, thought through that <laughs> a little bit more before. So, so, you know, when I say that more in your face now, but I would be much more counsel and, uh, you know, pastoral about it. Like, well, how did you get yourself into this situation? That, well, I think know, how we talk place. about it theoretically, right? right. Th- theoretically and but under theoretically, I mean, biblically, theologically, how we think about it theoretically um, is going to be, is going to inform how we apply it. But the, the manner in which we imply these principles is a way, again, it's truth in love. It's, it's with gentleness and it's with the hope of, of 
seeing the gospel proclaimed within their within their union, right? Because you're uniting them together, and in their union, they are um, to honor Christ in their family. So, so it's really hard if they're like, no, I'm, if they're stubborn about it, right? It's like, man, if you if you're struggling with this now. What's it going to look like a year from now or 10 years from now? If you're struggling with obedience to the Lord now, I mean, what happens at the first sign of a big fight? Are you going to honor the Lord to to get through these fights and these issues? Or are you just going to do the way of the world, which is to, you know, go get a certificate of divorce? And and that's certainly not what we want to happen. Right. And that's, and I do similar. I'm like four to six, sometimes maybe even eight sessions of like premarital counseling before with an inventory that they take online. I use prepare and enrich is mm-hmm. like an online inventory that kind of gets some of the, some stuff, you know, taken care of and some compatibility questions. But um, Mark asks an interesting question. Cause I've wrestled with kind of what he's le- suggesting here, because if we go to scripture, I don't see there's much in way of saying that even pastors need to be involved in the marriage ceremony. Mm-hmm. I really feel like that's a, a real more modern day thing. Um, and we in the United States as pastors are kind of gifted, allowed to sign a marriage certificate where other countries, that's just not even possible. Mm-hmm. So, so there are many days when I'm actually kind of like, you know, it would be really helpful if the government would take that privilege away mm-hmm. <laughs> from mm-hmm. us. Um, but I could potentially see, myself doing a, a religious, so to speak, ceremony for some, a couple that have been married by justice of the peace, you know, depending on what, it, but I'd want to know more about that. Like why, mm-hmm. why, why are you now coming to, to me? Uh, you know, it's kind of like why, you know, I, I, I'm hesitant, even though it's a, I know people say it's a great gospel opportunity, but when two non-Christians come to me looking to be married by me, um, I ask, I'm like, why do you want a pastor? Mm-hmm. Because the, the really the only benefit I see of doing, having a pastor do your marriage ceremony is he's going to seek the blessing of God. And mm-hmm. if you're, if you're not Christians, why do you want the blessing of God? Well, I, I, I might approach it a little bit differently. If I get yeah. a call, phone call right now and say, Hey, can you wait me and in, in this girl or me and this man? And I look at it as an opportunity. Hey, let's meet tomorrow at 8 a.m. And let's talk about, I'd love to meet with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and just hear, like, hear their story and go, hey, this mm-hmm. is wonderful. Um, I'd love to work with you guys. I'd love to do the wedding. Mm-hmm. But uh, kind of here it is. I, you know, I would be far more, I guess, open to do something with unbelievers than I am with believers uh, when it comes, because I don't expect non-believers to act like believers. Mm-hmm. Um, I expect believers to act like believers. And yeah, it, so- yeah, but if you're if you're willing to do a, ma- a, a okay, would you would if you did a wedding ceremony mm-hmm. for an unbelieving couple, would mm-hmm. that be a religious service? I I would I would make or would it you, I, or you you would make it? So how? So yeah. what if and they, they never- would know that? Like like there's no trickeration uh, on right. my part. Like I'm I'm totally upfront. Like listen. If you if you, if you want me to do the wedding and and I all like I, my policy I know uh, it, it's customary for the pastor to get you know uh, uh, some kind of remuneration for doing the wedding I always tell people listen it's a blessing for me to do it I'll you know I'll do it for free don't don't pay me anything um, if you want to pay anything just give something to the church mm-hmm. but uh, and I have not done a non-believing wedding let me just mm-hmm. you know I'll just put that out there but. If so, if two unbelievers came to me and asked me to do their wedding, I look at it as an opportunity to present the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they're if they if they accept kind of what my policy is, like, hey, um, the gospel will be preached at your at your wedding. Um, people will hear the gospel. You will hear the gospel. Um, then then I'm all for it, man. And and leave the rest up to you know to the Lord. Cause I look at that as, as an opportunity just to, to minister in my community and to minister to a number of folks. Mm-hmm. I hear you. I hear, you. I'm not entirely convinced. That's okay. And, 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 and because I wrestle with that, the, the gospel mm-hmm. opportunity, but at the same time, when I, as a pastor, I'm invoking God's blessing in a, in a way on this married couple 
but then they they leave that marriage ceremony with no desire to be blessed or to live in a way that honors God, then what have I just done in that religious service? Yeah. It's kind of what I wrestle with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's more of a, of a, an issue for me than even the cohabiting. I think you can work through some of that issues unless they're just like, no, we want to live together and we'll just find somebody else. But, um, listen, in that, yeah. I'll tell you what, that probably happens 199 out of 200 times. But you know, if I will sit down with anybody that wants me to do their ceremony mm-hmm. and I'll be a hundred percent up front. When I, yeah. when I pray, I'm going to be praying for the Lord to be glorified in your marriage. And there's no greater way that he will be glorified mm-hmm. than redeeming you. And he redeems you by you repenting of your sin. Mm-hmm. And your greatest sin is unbelief and believing mm-hmm. in Christ. Um, and I would hope that that would offer an opportunity yeah. to, to dig more into the gospel. Yeah. And, and I, I appreciate what Nathaniel, I agree with Nathaniel. There's some, uh, I feel like beneficial things of having like civil and then the church does the religious and neither the two have to do with each other. But, and I, I really pastorally empathize with what Robin is saying. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, big unbeliever, let's be honest, apart from Christ, we're all big unbelievers, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I, I would, I still counsel people. I'm like, you are da- treading a dangerous road by thinking that, and especially in a da- dating relationship mission, you know, we call it back. Christians call it missionary dating. Mm. You're, you're, you're treading, you're treading a dangerous road. Like, yeah. you know, because it does, it, I have lots of stories where that has worked out, but mm. I've also seen lots of stories where people have gone the way of their, their unbelieving partner rather yeah. than really connecting to the church. And so that is not a foolproof plan, a foolproof yeah. plan. Well, and I'll tell you, you know, the Lord, like in Robin and I, um, you know, I came to Christ before I knew Robin, but mm-hmm. what coming to Christ looked like, uh, I didn't fully understand. Right. So this is why I'm always, you know, I'm kind of cynical <laughs> about, <laughs> this is I true. Like this is true. We did not date fantastic. very long before we got married. Rob and I had a whirlwind romance, and it's continued yeah. to last. Um, the Lord blessed us mightily. Um, and, and and you know, I'll just say this about about that. Uh, it's really been a blessing. I would always, I, I always tell people, like, listen, if you if only known someone for a few weeks or a couple of months, I I advise against <laughs> getting married to them uh, right away. But it worked out for us. The Lord used it. Um, and each day I learn more about my wife and love her more and cherish her more each and every day than I did the last. But, you know, God used my ignorance of his word, um, Mm -hmm. in bringing us together. So, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't have, uh, an elder brother or someone else who instructed me and being like, Hey man, this is a bad, I, you know, this is what the scriptures say. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I, in that moment, I guess, you know, we certainly were disobedient um, to God's word, but it was out of ignorance as well. So um, I think it's, imp- I would think that someone who's been a Christian for a certain period of time and is connected, I wasn't connected to a local church. I, you know, I was just, I was kind of flapping in the winds, man. That's why I'm cynical about, you know, big revival services and stuff like that, where you where um, at least you know, that was part of what, what I was at in basic training came to Christ, but there was no discipleship afterwards. There was no, Hey, now go do this, go find, you know, I wish the chaplain who was an evangelical chaplain at the time would have said, now, wherever you go, find yourself a church, like wherever you get um, stationed or whatever. I had no guidance whatsoever, man. And, and mm-hmm. the Lord was providential in guiding my path uh, or our paths um, where he has. And, um, it just shows that even in the midst of our, of our mistakes and our sin, that God still, um, is, is sovereign over those choices and, and brings us closer to himself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to read Bickford's long, long comment, which I'm sure you are too. 
Mm-hmm. The problem with Bickford in giving these long comments is it is it creates a lot lot of time for us to not say yeah, anything. And, and here and here's the I guess I guess one of the things that I wrestle with in reading all of that is we talk about great gospel opportunity, um, and I'm I guess at my stage of ministry I'm too cynical to think that. I mean, the the Holy Spirit can do anything through any moment, but at the same time in my interactions is most of the time when, because I've done this, I've gone through and and done premarital counseling with non-Christians and everything. And they're really going through the motions just to get the service they want out of me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and if I've made anything, like I've even talked about that, and I'm not in ministry to be a hireling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to just make a, you know, to just be like, oh, yep, I'm going to do your funeral up. Oh, yep, I'll do that. I, you know, th- it is a service to the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. And so I want to know that not just what I'm doing is honoring to him, but also the participants as well. Yeah. And I can't guarantee that even on a Sunday morning. I mean, I can have Christians, you know, texting or, or whatever, and they're not being honoring. And so I, there's only so much that I can control. Uh, but I, you know, I could potentially in the future see myself doing a service for two non-Christians, but I'd have to be really convinced that they're, you know, that they're not doing it just to get something out of like a service out of me, that they're going to mm-hmm. really agree to and understand the stipulations that I put on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, with that said, man, uh, I mean, I think I'm done talking about marriage. Are you talking, <laughs> talking about marriage? <laughs> I think we've come out of this conversation relatively unscathed. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I've, in all honesty, when we talk about the marriage, marrying two non Christians, I wrestle with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really do. Cause I, you know, there is a huge gospel opportunity, but at this stage, and, uh, you know, in my ministry, A, I would have to make sure that I have the time to take something like that on anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, in the moments that I have sat down with, uh, you know, non-Christians is that, you know, it's kind of like when someone comes in looking for aid, like financial help, they'll mm-hmm. say yes to Jesus until they get the check. Right. Right. Which, and it's, and it can happen with doing a wedding. And so, you know, and, and that's, uh, but that's a whole nother discussion. You know, that gets into another realm. That's why I try to stay away from those conversations as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cause yeah. I, yeah, it betrays my, probably my, my tendencies, you know, cause I either want to give someone everything or give them nothing. Mm-hmm. And there is a happy medium there. So that's there why, is. I, you know, we have yeah. people in my church that handle that stuff. Large. But if I know of a need, I just let them know and, and they usually handle it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah, man. Yeah. You know, one day we should, we should talk about some stuff, you know, as we're talking about wrestling with these things, uh, what other things we're wrestling through. Right. Yeah. Cause I think that on our show and how, you know, we often engage with each other and with other people, sometimes we, at least I display, Hey, this is what I believe, or this is what I think the Bible says. But I think for some, they just, take it for granted like i'm not sharing the wrestling that goes on you know what i mean like like i've been pretty open with you and luke and some other folks like i've wrestled with baptism baptism it, for me is something that is is um you know i view the presbyterian view of baptism i, I look at it and go like there's moments where i go oh i think i'm there and then like i get to another portion of scripture that i'm studying and i go wait i'm not there anymore Right. Like, so I've, I've straddled the fence going back and forth and, you know, and of course I still hold the credo baptism, but um, there are some pretty convincing arguments uh, for pedo baptism mm-hmm. that I find on the Presbyterian perspective, not the Roman Catholic yeah. one. Um, you know, there, there are other, th- like I was having a conversation today with, with Luke and, and Catherine about the role of women in the church and how, you know, I, I'm studying, um, I'm preaching on second Samuel 19 through 21. And there's a part where um, Judah's army led by Joab goes to the city of Abel. And there is a wise woman who, who essentially goes and talk talks with, with Joab. And she speaks essentially for, on behalf of the city. And I go, 
whoa, all right, there, there, there's something going on here. Let's like, what's going on? And, and obviously that's a portion, you know, that's, uh, that's Old Testament narrative, narrative, it's descriptive, but what kind of, what, what kind of things can we glean from this text? Like, like, can a, can a committed, um, complementarian, um, what does a, what does consistency look like when you recognize that there have been women um, in the Old Testament and the New Testament that had some kind of um, authority or, or leadership that wasn't to the wasn't to the the place of an elder, right? So, what does that look like, and what does that look like practically for the church uh, today? So. I think it's important for us to have these conversations about like, man, what are the questions that we're asking uh, of ourselves and to others that, you know, we might be fairly committed one way or another, but that doesn't mean we're not questioning things. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, at some point you need to make a decision, even if you're unsure of it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just baptism, right. You have to figure out like, Hey, yeah. Am I, am I baptizing babies or not? And, right. and because the question isn't about baptizing adults, that's not the question. Presbyterians and 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 um, and, and credo Baptists would agree. Uh, you know that when an adult comes to faith or someone uh, of a certain age, you you baptize them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the question is whether or not you baptize the children of believers of covenant right. believers, and right. and that's a challenge. I mean, yeah, it is a challenge, but it's really hard for a baby to repent and believe. And you know that promise of repenting, right, which is which is where I'm at, man. Which is where, like, I look at the I look at the the new covenant, and I look at the sign of the new covenant, and and how it relate, like circumcision relates to baptism. And I go, boom, I'm there, presbies. Like, let's drink some wine. Yeah, yeah. I'm good with it. And then I get to, but how does a baby repent and believe? Like, I can't get past that. If they can convince me, if they can convince me of how, how that happens or how to get past that, that, that call, then dude, I'd be Presbyterian in a heartbeat. Uh, right. But I just can't right. get there. Because they'll often, because that comes in Acts too, when they, they were cut to the heart and they ask, and they ask Peter, what shall we do? And he's like, repent and believe. And then they'll go, well, but then he says, for this promise is for your, your children and your household. And I'm like, yes, the promise of repentance and belief right. <laughs> is the promise, not the baptism. <laughs> right. But again, but then, but, but then you but, could say, but yeah. then you can say, yeah, so there's a promise in the baptism that the children of believers will repent and believe. Yeah. And and then that gets to like kind of the Lutheran view of baptism is it's just, it's, oh my yeah. goodness, man. It's so it's so complex. Like I, and I, um, pardon the pun, but I'm doing it intentionally. There's no like dunking on passages, right? Like there's no like yeah. passage where, where one can to the other, like they, they, like these two sides feel like they're dunking on one another, like they're LeBron James. And it's just not, I, I don't think that there's a slam dunk passage one way or the other. I think it's, no. I think it's far more challenging. Um, yeah. If we look at the early church, like we can look at the Didache, they it was like two or three years, Christian new believers would be taught the gospel. They would be taught what it meant to live the Christian life before they were even baptized. They believed it was important for a Christian to actually go through some kind of adversity after they've professed faith before baptism. And I go, boom, like that, that's. That's, right, and then the didache not only goes to that degree, but then they also say you should have this type of water. But if that type of water isn't available, then there's this type of water. Yeah, That's a, yeah. it's so funny. But uh, you know, whenever I get into discussions with my Presbyterian brothers and sisters, I say, okay, all right, we're wrestling with this at baptism. Mm-hmm. You've got to wrestle with this when it comes to communion. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah. you probably because you're going to make you the baby Yeah, you should probably serving communion to the kids. As well, yeah. yeah. And and if you believe that you should be using wine, which which I which I agree, are you giving an infant wine? You know, like I I just I uh, yeah, Mike. No, no Mike, one. Yeah, again, you're right. There's no slam dunk. There's no like. It's obviously this. I mean, yeah. we could. I mean, if then we could go into how do we do communion. You know, should we do it online? Should we not? Should it be real wine? Should it be grape juice? Should it be prepackaged or or wafer? Should it be this? Should it be that? Should, we used we used prepackaged this past Sunday, right? 
Yeah. Do, do you, should pastors be the only ones that are allowed to do it? Or can you like say, let your own elders and not just the pastor do it? You know, all of these questions that aren't necessarily clear. How often do you do communion? Mm-hmm. You know, have we bastardized it a bit by just making it this small little, little moment of the ser- the service, or should it really be in the context of a meal uh, type of deal? You know, there's lots of, lots of, questions around it that you know well, we kind the of the- assume there's the there's there's only a certain extent to which the speakers the the scriptures speak to a to a um to a certain there's a certain extent in which the scriptures speak to communion as far as how often you should do it and like because i've wrestled with that i remember at one time i thought oh it should be done as often as the church gathers but then i realized that was a misunderstanding of the passage that's mm-hmm. not what that means it means as often as you do this remember me do it in remembrance of me um but i think it's i think it's a wisdom and prudence fact like what what will work best mm-hmm. but and and I also think like the whether or not having you know ha- having it surrounded as part of a meal, I think that's also like a wisdom. Like yes, that's what they were doing in the first century. That's mm-hmm. pretty clear. That's what they were doing in the early church. That's pretty clear. But mm-hmm. what they were doing in the early church isn't necessarily normative, right? That's just per that that that's just descriptive. So we have to s- sort that out. But if you're talking about like man, if Eric had his druthers, yeah, man. I'd have our I'd have our church. We'd be gathered around the meal for the worship service every single Sunday, man, yeah. and partake in commune every yeah. single Sunday because I think there's something powerful when people come together over food. Yeah. Um, it, it's just it's it's you. I don't know. It just is. It's, yeah. No, I, I appreciate your question, Nathaniel Bickford. And if I was to hardline it, then I would say yes. Uh, a consistent Presbyterian should probably, if I understand their view of what communion is and i or the lord's table lord's supper i would say then i i don't understand why they're withholding it from the children if they're full members of the church then they should probably be fully accepted into the ministry of the church um but yeah no i've yeah i think and i think you and i are on the same page when it comes to you know when the context of communion should be within the worshiped gathered people of God. Um, Cause I know at times I've got been given a hard time cause I don't necessarily go and visit and bring communion with me. Oh, I don't do um, that either. Because I, I really wrestle with it. Cause I'm sitting here and I'm like, whenever we see the Lord's table celebrated, it's with the gathering of, of believers. And you mm-hmm. could say, well, we're two or three are gathered. And I'm like, well, I, I think you're missing it. And then also I really feel like, and maybe I'm wrong in my church history, but I really feel, feel like the visitation of communion so to speak is really a catholic holdover because if if a catholic doesn't take communion then they could easily be lost right there's salvific like the catholics view that there's so salvific power in communion whereas at least in my view of of communion which is more you know there's there's a couple of different reformed views of 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 communion, and I take a more Calvinistic view, which is that there is a real spiritual presence of of Christ mm-hmm. in the midst of taking communion, and like I think I think I think Christ in a special way that I can't put my finger on, and I don't know that I'm necessarily supposed to put my finger on it, but in a very special way, he's he he's ever more present among his people as we gather together. Uh, one, but gather together in partaking in his in his blood and body. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. Like I'm a hardliner on. Like I won't do. Like so, if we had if we had people that were in a a nursing home, right? I would say, listen, what we need to do is is plant a church in the nursing home. Let's plant a church in the nursing home. Um, however many people it is, and let's let's do communion there. Let's have a second word. Like let's if we want us, you know, you talk about multi service or multi. Uh, site churches. All right, let's plant a church in a nursing home and let's gather together there, worship mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. and we'll partake in communion there. Um, someone who's who's homebound, like I'm sympathetic. Like we have folks like that in my church, but I just I look at the scriptures and I go, this is out of place. Just like having baptism at camp. Um, <laughs> the camp isn't the church. Um, you shouldn't like ca- camps shouldn't be doing baptisms. Um, they're, they're going outside the yeah. bounds of, of their ministry. Yeah. And I've, and I've learned, I've come to these conclusions having done it 
what, what wishing I hadn't done that. So I agree with you with the baptism. I've, I used to, I don't anymore. Like at the end of camp, everyone's in a fervor. Let's baptize. Nope. If you want to be baptized by pastor Mike, it's going to be within the context of blessed hope church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I totally, you know, empathize with Nathaniel's question and there might be some, uh, some warrant for that. Uh, but I see there's more of a warrant for that if if it's more of a sac- salvific sacrament mm-hmm. rather than an, another an element of worship that we should do in honor and remembrance of mm-hmm. Christ. Um, because I would even say I don't even I would even say I don't know that you even need a small worship service. Mm-hmm. I would say just the act of communion is worship. And so I remember there was one time that I've, I formulated the whole service around um, the, the communion, doing communion. And then afterwards, I think, I think it was uh, someone who has more Presbyterian leaning said, why, why didn't you preach, you know, preach today? And I'm like, well, because communion was the sermon. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I preached on communion while we were doing communion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm pretty sure... It, I, Jesus, I hope that counted. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry if it didn't. <laughs> well, I, I like so t- so two things, and we probably should close up soon. Maybe we should do like a whole episode on this, and we might have done one in the past. But these are things I really love talking about, right? Baptism, yeah. communion. How how does this work out practically? But you know, Bickford says, "Hey, but can Christians meet for corporate worship uh, in a home?" Absolutely, right? So so could you plant a church in a home? Uh, I think that that's perfectly fine. And then do communion within that. And and if your church is willing to like, hey, we're going to plant this church at, you know, Pastor Mike's home and um, he's going to do communion. You know, we're going to lend him to them for, you know, X amount of hours a week. And he's going to do, you know, I think that's I think that's fine. Um, you know, so I, I just. Yeah, um, no, I mean, it, to say, hey, let's go to, you know, Martha's house down the street and and give her communion because she begged for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and, and that's and that's where I, I Nathaniel, I agree with you that that's kind of the question is, um, you know, what constitutes a worship gathering? You know, because mm-hmm. everyone will say, well, we're two or three are gathered. Well, hold on. That's when dealing with discipline and, and having agreement on, mm-hmm. on an action to take or whatever. Uh, but at the, at the same time, you know, can two or three people, you know, or even two people be a worship, ga- a, a gathering of the church? Mm-hmm. Um, and so because you could say like, well, we can't practice communion because our whole membership isn't here because we're not all gathered physically. Well, mm-hmm. no, you don't, it doesn't say that you need every single member of your church or even the, the Christian community gathering uh, because that would be impractical and you'd probably never get it done. You'd never do mm-hmm. it. <laughs> well, and I think, and, and I think when Paul talks about that in first Corinthians, right, wait for your brother. Um, there were, there were significant ecclesiastical issues that were going on mm-hmm. at the time that weren't, Hey, Joe's on vacation. So right. we can't do communion. No, it's, hey, we know Joe is on his way, but um, he couldn't make it in time because he lived really far away or he was, um, he, he's got a bad leg, so he walks really slowly. So we're going to wait for him. Um, it was, we're not going to eat. All, <laughs> there was a sense that like they would eat all the bread and, and drink all the wine because they thought, <laughs> like some mm-hmm. thought, hey, if I eat more, if I eat more of the bread and drink more of the wine, then I'm even more blessed or whatever that might right. be. And it's like, now you're, now you've become a glutton and you're not leaving anything for Joe, who's, right. who's doing his darndest to get here. But, you know, he got, kicked by a mule three weeks ago and you know, it still hasn't quite healed yet. Um, he, he's doing his best to get here. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. Yeah. Cool. And I, uh, I appreciate what Mark has to say. And he said that yeah. there's uh but if community or excuse me, am I am grateful for the church that holds a worship service at the nursing home where my father lives. They bring communion as part of the service on a regular basis. I think that's great. And I think that if, if like, if my church wanted to do something like that, I think that'd be wonderful. Or if your church decided they wanted to do that, I think that'd be great. Um, and, and I don't necessarily know that you have to, you know, create 
a, a super formal membership list, knowing that a nursing home, there is a population that, I mean, it's a nursing home. There are people who are going to not be there for very long. There are people who will be there for years, people who will be there for months, maybe even weeks. So, um, you know, you probably have a very simplified structure to what that church looked like. Um, so I, I think there's good stuff. I think that's good stuff. Well, Mike, Hey, appreciate the topic that you brought up today, man. Yeah. So just as a reminder to everyone who's still watching or listening, um, Hey, we got three more live episodes in June. And then starting the last week in June, the last Tuesday, we are going to have mini sodes where the three of us are going to be talking about a specific topic that one of us will bring to the other two and we'll talk about it. And there will be about 30 minutes long and they will be released, not live, but there'll be live or what do you go? Preview or not previews premieres on Facebook. So at starting at one o'clock um in the first tuesday or last tuesday in june so and that'll be for the next that'll be through through august yep so god bless you guys take care we love you and we will see you next week peace out uh -huh. you're such a uh -huh.